Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, Pokemon Trading Card Games from your podcasting duo on take two after I broke my microphone midway through the first try. My name is Charlie Holbert, joined as always by my good, good friend, Mr. JW Crewall. JW, how's it going today? It's going okay, Riley. Thanks for asking. <laughs> so, while we were midway through talking about how things were going, you mentioned that you were tired. <laughs> yeah, well, we still got the uh, we still got one of the boys uh, from the hosting that we're doing, so he has a hard time sleeping, and some nights you're just up with him. You know, sometimes he takes a while to go to bed. Sometimes he wakes up in the middle of the night, and that was one of those nights yesterday where he kind of went to bed a little late and then also woke up at 3 a.m. So oh. uh, just dealing with that, you know, it's, it's tough being in a weird environment. And I mean, at, at this point, it's probably not that weird because he's been here for, you know, a month plus. But um, <laughs> even so, I mean, just, you know, just just having trouble sleeping. It just happens. So I feel up that. with him. And uh, yeah, we're just looking forward to getting some some R&R, some uh, some much needed sleep time this weekend. We're uh, he's, he, he's, we're getting some respite care so that we can go up to see my family in Michigan. That's awesome. And so do you have just like the rest of the week off or starting on Thursday or what's the situation there? Yeah. So tomorrow he's going to go with another host family that he's been with before. So we kind of all pitch in to help out a little bit sometimes like we're his primary right now. Um, and then, you know, maybe for a day or two over the weekend, like he might go with another family some yeah. weekends. So another family's offered to take him for the next, like, three days. So that would be really nice. And how much longer is, is the current arrangement going on? It was nearing its conclusion, isn't it? Yeah, well, so I, we had a, initially thought it was going to end last week. That's what, I, that's what I thought. <laughs> on the 16th. And that was actually before... Um, that was before we were scheduled to end, we, but we were like, okay, mom's getting a lot better. She's feeling better. Um, and, you know, the whole point of this is to get the kids back with the parents, like, as soon as possible. Right. Um, and then mom ended up getting the flu, no. which, as you can imagine, for someone who, you know, uh, had cancer or is going ongoing with cancer treatment, you know, having another disease like the flu can be pretty devastating so she had to uh, go back into the hospital she's doing fine you know she stabilized really well but it just means that the hosting is going to go on a little bit longer so our new proposed end date is the uh the second okay. of december so just in time to head on over to toronto <laughs> that's right well that's awesome i, I wish you Wish you well over Thanksgiving. Enjoy seeing your family, and I'm glad that that the mother is doing well on her end. Yeah, as well. absolutely, absolutely. How is uh, how's your week going? How are you uh, shaping up for for Thanksgiving? Any any plans? Well, you know, I've been pretty beat up, honestly, over the last like week or so. Um, last week I was on site in San Diego for my client, and for pretty much the entirety of like the last two weeks, I've been dealing with like a very minor like sore throat head cold type of situation it's not like not minor not major enough rather to get me out of work <laughs> mm-hmm. but not, not minor enough, enough not make you feel bad to yeah so it just like is an inconvenience to my day-to-day yeah. life and yeah, that's yeah. just like the worst place to be yeah um so that's kind of unfortunate but we're trudging along through that i feel like i'm finally like now turning the corner after like two weeks of feeling mildly sick mm-hmm. <laughs> i feel like slightly less mildly sick <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's good um but otherwise like i've i've been fine i've been pretty tired lately as well mostly just due to to lack of sleep and like shifting time zones and stuff yeah um but you know this this week will be fine not really doing much for thanksgiving i haven't really done much with for thanksgiving since moving to madison uh, but i got the the kitty boarding school up here <laughs> as mm-hmm. as i do every so often um and i'm at least excited to get a day of respite during thanksgiving proper you only get one day at epic we get yeah we only get the one holiday most people do use black friday for their like flexible holiday mm-hmm. uh you get like one day surrounding any yep. other holiday 
I see. I tend to work on Black Friday because there's no one else there. Yeah, it's <laughs> got to be super easy. Honestly, I really liked last year working through Christmas. Uh, and not, I didn't work on Christmas, obviously. But like the day but before. Just, yeah, after. day before, you know, that kind of thing. Because, yeah, it's pretty chill. No one's really around. Um, yeah, so I'm actually kind of excited. <laughs> um, the only thing I'm kind of bummed about is I'm, I'm like the the emergency backup for a bunch of different people mm, mm-hmm. um but for like the actual day proper assuming there's no emergencies all literally all of my meetings got canceled i had meeting most fridays i had meetings almost the entire day i have literally zero mm-hmm. <laughs> that are still on for this friday nice. um so i'm just gonna like kind of recenter catch up on my stuff uh get my inbox like back down to like a reasonable level um, and catch up on all the follow-up tasks that I've been, like, kind of kicking the can on. So it'll be good. Very nice. Enjoy your rest. Yeah, so that in of itself will kind of be a restful activity because it'll remove stress from, like, the rest of my my work. Yep. Um, and in addition to the actual restful day of Thanksgiving proper. But there's no rest for those of you going to latin america for the latin american international championships big pokemon tournament this weekend Riley. i know yeah i was actually thinking about when i went to latin america myself back in 2018 it was i think it was the week before thanksgiving and all of us who went were horrendously sick for the following week during yeah. thanksgiving so maybe it's for the best that it's just during thanksgiving itself and so you're not like infecting your family members with travel sickness well, yeah, yeah, and I, I think the uh, the sicknesses in 2018, um, you know, are a little different than the sicknesses in 2022. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, so, but I, that just is on my mind because I'm sick right now in Latin America. It's about to happen. But, yes, Latin America is coming up this weekend. The faithful players from the U.S. and from all across the world will be meeting up in Brazil to play Latin America International Championship and we're excited to break down kind of what the situation is going into LAIC. Yeah. Uh, so for the next few you know, minutes as we talk through the, the rest of the podcast here, we'll be going through some of the top decks. We'll be going through for each of those top decks kind of what the variants are within that deck, like the different ways you might opt to play it. Of those, we'll each state our preference and... Towards the end, we'll we'll do a fun little segment as well to round us out. Cool. Sounds good. So, JW, why don't you just kick us off? What is the first deck that we're going to be talking about today? And we're going to be talking about four de- decks today. We, don't, we couldn't really produce a, a five that we were confident with, but we yeah, feel, but good there, at, we feel are, really good about the four. Th- there are four that are far and away um, contenders, I would say, right? Yeah. If, if any of these four decks or any of their sub-variants were to win the Latin American International Championships, nobody would be surprised, you know. These are decks that you should be prepared for heading into this tournament. Um, You should be preparing for, if you're not going to LAIC, for Toronto or any of the subsequent regionals that you might be attending. These are just the best decks in the format, and I think our testing and the results online both back that up. So the first deck that we are going to be talking about is one that kind of uh, came on um, you know late in the f- later in the format last format and that is Reggie and so you know we saw Reggie be very very dominant towards the end of last format um, really had a presence throughout but it just seemed like it picked up a lot of steam and a lot of um, good players started giving it more and more credence towards the end of the format Reggie is a deck right now that has a lot of advantages. There are a lot of shifts in the meta that make Reggie a little more favorable to play. Notably, I think one of the bigger shifts that I've, I've noticed with just the way that lists are being constructed right now um, are with the Mew variants that we've been seeing. So I think there's a lot less Lost City index, particularly in the Mew decks, and that obviously bodes very well for Reggie. Reggie has a nice ability to kind of counter a lot of these top decks. Uh, you look at Lugia hitting for weakness, uh, being able to spread 
against things like Lost Box and just having a lot of HP. Uh, these are good <laughs> qualities to have. And uh, for a second, when I when you said that Reggie has a nice ability, I thought you were talking about like Reggie Gigas's ability. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, it's good. I don't. Know. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's pretty good, too. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard. It has this ability that it can accelerate energy from the discard pile. So, you know, all in all, it makes it a good deck. <laughs> the big HP combined with the fact that it has this crazy ability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really thought that's where you were going with that for a second. What if? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Reggie is it was definitely a staple of the Lost Origin metagame when all was said and done. It's kind of the premier uh, single prize swing type of deck. Um, and that doesn't really change heading into the Silver Tempest metagame. You know, Reggie loses and gains some matchups along the way, like Palkia definitely on the downturn, which is a matchup Reggie was generally comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, Arceus on the downturn, a matchup Reggie is generally comfortable with. On the flip side, though, the Lost Cities are going down, like you said, and Lugia is a matchup that Reggie should, for the most part, feel okay playing into uh, for most variants of Lugia. So yeah. Reggie feels like a, a continued great deck in the format. It's also just really solid against other single prize decks that'll struggle to hit the 130, the 150 every single turn that Reggie can churn out like it's nothing in terms of the, the HP of its attackers. Yeah, absolutely. So Reggie's a little bit unique amongst these four decks in that there's not really Reggie variants. You know, you're not going to run up with like your five different variants of reggie <laughs> you yeah. know you're really just playing the straight and narrow when it comes to reggie i don't think the lists even change much at all from what we were seeing be successful towards the end of the lost origin metagame i think you just you play it straight you keep it simple and that'll that'll be what works best for a deck like reggie that's trying to accomplish so much what would be some reasons not to play reggie because when i think of reggie i think about having you know, an even to maybe slightly favorable Lugia matchup. I think of it having a relatively even Lost Zone matchup. Um, and for the most part, I think about it having a pretty even Mew matchup. Um, what are some reasons maybe you wouldn't play a Reggie deck? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the big thing would probably be if you happen to hit Lugia. If you think that Lugia with Dunsparce and Vanifee and Collapse Stadium will be a factor. Like, if you have all of those, like, combination of things in one Lugia deck. By and large, I don't think most Lugia decks look like that, and nor do they really have the bench space to make that actually work most games. So you're probably doing okay in the grand scheme of things. But if you're not, like, taking the Lugia matchup that you really want to, you feel like Lugia's winning, like, even 50% of the time feels not great. Uh, for playing a deck like Reggie that's, you know, got some inherent inconsistency to it, that's maybe where you start to draw the line. I think amongst many of these other decks, though, that we're going to talk about today, I would say Reggie's in a pretty good spot against pretty much all of them. So I would see it as a a very top contender. And I I think it's unfair to the Reggie deck as well that people still kind of, like, wave the inconsistency card at it. Mm. Because that's just, like... Clearly, that's like materially not very true, as we've seen yeah. top players repeatedly get good performances with Reggie. Metagame-wise as well, we also have to think about the shift away from Hisui and Gudra. Um, Hisui and Gudra being one of those big decks from the last format that yeah. really locked Reggie out of the game relatively quickly, relatively <laughs> easily. So. You know, yeah. without Hisui and Gudra, I mean, that isn't really a deck that I think anyone is considering. Just when you look at how strong Lugia is, um, particularly the the Aurora Lugia when they play the Eveltal, just taking one-shots on anything, no matter how much damage reduction you have with the Gudra deck. Um, you know, no one's really, at least from my perspective, considering Hisui and Gudra to be a viable play in this current format. So that's another bad matchup for Reggie. That has largely been pushed out and, um, you know, again, makes it much more favorable to play Reggie into this field. Yeah, I mean, I think Reggie's a super good call heading into this tournament. You wouldn't really fault someone for playing it, I don't think. No, absolutely not. You do bring up a good point. Though Lost City has been on the decline, uh, been seeing a lot more Collapse Stadium, particularly in the Lugia decks, as a way to get rid of a Crobat or Luminion that you may need in the early game to get your engine going. So 
that could be a bit of a concern, but, you know, Reggie Dex have played around stadiums before, so, you know, high stadium counts are not a, uh, you know, not something new and not something foreign to the deck. And, um, you know, I, I would expect them to, to, you know, be able to adjust accordingly. So let's maybe dive then into our next deck, which is also a single prize attacking deck in Lost Box. Now, Lost Box, when we think of it in the Lost Origin format, we largely think of it as being the Sableye Charizard sort of deck, where you, over the course of multiple turns, you attack with your Cramorants, you build up into your Sableyes, and then you finish the game with a Charizard. To try and choose strategy, Pedro literally just won a regional <laughs> two weekends ago with that exact you know, straight and narrow strategy. It works. It's super good. And I think that's actually still a pretty viable version of the deck heading into LAIC. The new sort of flavor of Lost Box that has been on the rise recently has been more of an amazing rare t- box type of deck. And I would say even within there, we're seeing probably two variants that are, are growing and gaining steam. Uh, the first of which would be more of an amazing Rayquaza-focused variant, where you have Rayquaza as kind of your big burst attacker. You have Sableye for the, the spread, and then you have, you know, cards like Raikou V, you have cards like Zapdos V to deal with the Lugias and the Stoutlands, respectively, that the Lugia deck's going to throw at you. Sure. So, just like, a, you know, a Mirage Gate box type of deck, where you have all these sorts of, of high damage attackers. On the flip side you have a more spread-oriented variant. So taking a more more leaning hard into the spread instead of just having the Sable Eyes. So now you have the amazing Kyogre that you can Mirage Gate to. You have, of course, the Radiant Greninja that you can Mirage Gate to. And that can set up sort of these long-term checkmates where you attack a couple times with an amazing Kyogre and your opponent's all of a sudden accumulated hundreds and hundreds of spread damage on their board in just a couple turns. I mean, that Amazing Kyogre is probably the single strongest spread attack we've ever seen that can be used, like, multiple times in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the restriction really just being around the energy cost, that Mirage Gate can much more easily fulfill than maybe was intended <laughs> yeah, when the sure. card was printed. Sure. Um, so that's kind of the, the alternative version of that, right, is to have that Kyogre variant. All of these decks ultimately kind of roll up to the same strategy, though, of I'm going to be swinging with multiple single prizes over the course of a long game and eventually outprize trade my opponent. Where they might struggle, but on the flip side is against Reggie, where you have single prize attackers that are a little bit harder to knock out. Yeah, although, again, Kyogre can take those multi-prizes. So that's that's one of the things that I really like when we're talking about these Lost Box decks is, um, yeah, trying to, um, you know, do things that we haven't seen before. Um, I, w- when we think about Lost Box, I, in this new format, I'm not a particular fan of the traditional build that the Sableye and Charizard. I think that you're, um, you are a little more susceptible with that build to Stoutland in Lugia. And if you haven't like already figured it out by now, I'm a huge fan of Stoutland in Lugia. I think that that is, <laughs> that is what can really help swing the Lost Box matchup. So the traditional build of Sableye Charizard, Lost Box, I think struggles much more with the, uh, with the Stoutland. And then you have, you know, you're, you're talking about the counter in, in the Amazing Rare Box with maybe Rayquaza and uh, the Zapdos V that can, you know, with Zapdos, obviously, trade extremely well into that Stoutland. Uh, but then additionally, you know, with the, uh, my favorite variant is Kyogre because you're able to, maybe if, um, you know, they come up and smack you with the Stoutland, maybe you have plays with the Kyrim that, uh, or excuse me, Kyrim, that <laughs> yeah, you can- you gotta, you gotta cut the <laughs> Kyrim, bro. <laughs> the Kyrim is canceled. <laughs> the Kyogre, you have plays with the Kyogre that you can, you know, kind of make up that prize difference that you lose from, yeah. uh, you know, getting a comfy knocked out by their Stoutland. So I, that's that's where I'm at right now. If I had to choose one of the, you know, three or four different types of Lost Box decks, I would go with the Kyogre variant. Plus, it's just super fun to, 
manipulate all that energy in your deck with uh, the energy recycler and things. The energy like counts are like truly wild in the Lost Box decks these days. Well, it looks well, like kind of like a pre-release meme deck type of thing. It does, yeah. And what's really crazy is just how fast you can go through the deck too. Oh yeah, I mean with the combination of the the Lost Engine plus Radiant Greninja, you yeah. really are churning through that deck like crazy. You're speeding. You're speeding. You're speeding. I agree. So, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I maybe slightly prefer the Rayquaza variant over the Kyogre variant, but I do really like the the tools that the Amazing Rare boxes add to the Lost Box deck. And I think, yeah, like you're looking to be a little bit trickier right now than maybe the Sableye Charizard deck was historically. You sacrifice a little bit of that super straightforward consistency in exchange for maybe a, a higher mid-game especially ceiling sure yeah what so with these lost box decks that are playing you know more mirage gates and you know these amazing rare attackers what prevented them from being played in the last format i think it ultimately boils down to some of the factors that we've already listed like lugia didn't exist right so they weren't getting pressured by cards like stoutland which they now will be Right, that's an inevitable force <laughs> that some Lugias are going to be playing the Stoutland. Actually, I think a lot of Lugias kind of are, or at least considering it, especially with how popular Lost Box is getting in the last few weeks. Like, if you look at tournaments from the last week and a half, two weeks, you'll see a lot more Stoutlands than if you looked a couple weeks back. Mm -hmm. So, that's one, and probably the single biggest factor would be my guess, is Sableye Charizard had the the luxury of time, right? And when you have the luxury of time, you can be much more selective about your damage counters. You can wait that one extra turn to attack with Cramorant, and you can make those kinds of plays. You really cannot afford to miss a turn versus Stoutland, right? Because as soon as you miss that one turn, they've now taken four prizes, and they're about to win the game. Like, yeah. you can't really come back from that. You know, that's, that is the deficit at which a single prize deck can no longer win the game, is when they go down four prizes. Mm -hmm. So once you hit that threshold, you're locked out. So you need to play a way to kill the Stoutland. And there's no, like, single energy, single prize attacker that really does that. At least not on, like, a basic. So now you're having to divest well, into... Not, I, mean, I mean, of course there is Charizard, right? But right, not, but at that, not at the point you need it to. Yeah, exactly. So you need, to, you need to do it at like two prizes taken. So at that instant, you need to play a card that can instantly deal with the Stoutland. And you can't do that with a single attachment to a basic Pokemon that isn't Charizard at four prizes. Mm -hmm. So now you need to play like a Zapdos V. You need to play a, a Mirage Gate attacker. You need to play some sort of alternative force to handle the Stoutland in front of you, which kind of leads you down this rabbit hole. Um, was it possible that some of these variants were viable in the previous format? Maybe, but again, I think Sableye Charizard had the benefit of that really straightforward consistency, and it was given the luxury of being able to lean into that instead of having to, to go into these alternative routes. Mm. You know, like if Sableye Charizard's already a tournament-winning deck, which it literally was proven to be Multiple. twice. Yeah. Uh, why would you bother like diverting consistency away from that? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's my logic, at least. And uh, you just you just can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's that's really solid. All that said, um, yeah, it's kind of spicy. It's kind of fun how how the deck has has opened up. And I mean, Rajgate is such bad. a fun card. It really. Oh, is. it's super fun. Yeah, yeah. That, it's like a. It's that's like my league deck of choice right now. It's just the Kyogre <laughs> yeah. Lost Box, or like if I'm just grinding late night on PTCGO, like I'm just throwing Lost Box Kyogre decks because it's just super fun to take, you know, four prizes doing 250 damage to <laughs> two of your opponent's V Pokemon. It's cool. The uh, the one wild thing, I was thinking about this on my commute home today. It's just like how absurd Mirage. We I know we've talked about this before, but Mirage Gate is just like an absurd card. Like, what the words on that card are insane. They are <laughs> like almost unfathomable that they ever printed a card that read like that. But goes on pretty cool. That's right. It's fun to play. So <laughs> so true. Awesome. Any final thoughts on Lost Box? 
I, this is another deck that, you know, I could see someone coming up with a new variant um, for LAIC and doing really well. I mean, we've talked about the Zapdos, but one thing that we haven't talked about is the Earth and Seal Stone. Um, I'm a really big fan, and it makes Zapdos a little bit more viable against other random V-based decks. So I think that that would be, you know, certainly a combination that we've talked ad nauseum here on the podcast about, but uh, something that, you know, someone could whip out and, and do really well with it. It's just a deck that there are so many different things that you could do with it. You could play Heavy Path. Um, you know, you can play a variety of different attackers. And I just, I wouldn't be surprised, again, seeing this deck with multiple variants making top 32, top 8. It's just that kind of jack-of-all-trades and, um, you know, really, really, really a fun deck. And I think a lot of people will gravitate towards it for LAIC. Absolutely. So let's then shift gears momentarily and go into our card of the day. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right, GW. I got a Pokedex entry for you, and it's pretty good. Oh. <laughs> All right. Let's hear it. A Pokemon of South America that was thought to have been extinct. It is very intelligent and can learn any move. Jatu? That's my answer. No, unfortunately, a Pokemon of South America is not Jatu. Maybe it is, but not the one in question here. Wait, okay, then finish. Hold on. All right. Second guess. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you base Jatu, let's say you said Jatu based on the first half of the Pokedex entry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second half, it is very intelligent and learns any move. Mew. Yep, that's right. Mew nice. is actually South American. I had no idea. <laughs> there's like a there's a small handful of Pokedex entries that reference like real world it's locations. Like very specific, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's like a Machoke that can swim across the Atlantic Ocean or something. Dude, you know what? I think there's a I think there's a Skrelp. That's from Skokie, Illinois. <laughs> no way. That's yeah, big. yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that's definitely fake. No, no, the scrub from Skokie. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's. <laughs> There's a Conkledur from Gary, Indiana. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, so the card of the day that I'm picking today is Mew Gold Star from the Dragon Frontier set. Mm. So Mew Gold Star was a Delta species Pokemon. It was a water type Mew, which was kind of cool because it was also shiny. So it was like a blue Mew on a blue card. I don't know. That's neat, right? That's and Gold Star Pokemon were kind of almost like Radiant Pokemon, I, I guess is probably the best comparison you can draw. You can play one Gold Star in a deck uh, across all the Gold Star Pokemon. And they would typically have kind of like above average power levels for maybe the the stat line on the cards may otherwise suggest. Mew had a mimicry attack where it could copy other Pokemon's attacks if it had the requisite energy cost. Uh, really, though, it wasn't like super, super popular. It was played in a couple decks, but um, there were other like more splashable uh, Gold Star Pokemon if you're looking just to, to throw one in a deck. Mew, you'd sure. kind of need to have like multiple different energy types to, sure. to make really work. The um, reason I picked Mew, though, is not because of, like, the competitive viability of it or anything, or even because of its awesome Pokedex entry. The reason I picked Mew was uh, every so often, as a Pokemon card player, you get asked about, like, certain cards, right? Like, oh, you know, what's what's the deal with this card? Or, like, how much is my base set uh, potion worth? You know, things like that. And today the card I got asked about by a friend was about Mew Gold Star. They actually wow. they ran to a Mew Gold Star and, and saw it was really expensive and they were like, What's the deal with that? And Gold Stars are indeed it, had it in their basement? No, they they had actually just seen online that Mew Gold Star was very expensive. It's like, hey, like I saw this card, you know, why is it so expensive? And so they were like looking more to learn rather than like asking about the value of a card they own. Sure. Um, so that was the card that came to my way this day was was Mew Gold Star, which I'm much more excited about than like is my base set potion that I found in my shoebox <laughs> like worth a hundred thousand uh, <laughs> like, dollars. No, yeah, it's not. <laughs> no, yeah, I have those conversations all too all too frequently. You know, I've actually been in the last few weeks. I've been approached multiple times by parents 
at work whose kids have like found out that I play Pokemon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like just today, this morning literally, yeah. uh, the the director for my project. We were on our like our one on one that we have on Tuesday mornings. He's yeah. like, Riley, you're not gonna believe this. My kid was watching Pokemon videos on the iPad, and he found you playing like in a regional championship, and he was just <laughs> watching that video. <laughs> so like now you're like a little celebrity in our <laughs> in the house. Wow, that's so fun, man. <laughs> is that weird? That is really weird. So all this to say is like. Somehow, people always, if you play Pokemon and people know it, <laughs> they'll come to you with your required card questions, and sometimes they'll find you, and they'll track you down. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Mew Gold Star, very pretty. There is also another Delta Species Mew that in certain decks was played alongside the Gold Star. That was the, it was, it was like a fire-type Mew. Yeah, there's the fire Mew as well. It had a, had a similar, I don't think the wording on the, attack text was exactly the same but it had a similar kind of copy like copycat type of thing yeah, yeah copycat exactly that's kind of this kind of muse niche right it's just mm-hmm. like copying other pokemon which is kind of fits in with the dex entry right like it yeah. can use any move so and it makes for some really fun mechanics i mean we've seen it you know mewtwo and mew uh G- tag team gx mew ex you know obviously mew vmax species muse mew vmax so yeah good stuff Awesome. Well, JW, why don't you introduce the listeners then to our sponsor for the day before we jump into the second half? Absolutely. We are so proud to be partnering with our sponsor to bring you the podcast. Of course, that is Manscaped. Manscaped products, they are the best men's grooming products around. We have been using these products for over a year now and can't say enough good things about them. If you've been listening to the cast for any amount of time, you'll know just how much we love each and every one of the Manscaped products, whether it be the air and nose hair trimmer, whether it be the boxers, whether it be any of the nice shampoos or conditioners that you can use in the shower, Manscaped has got you covered. So, you know, the holidays are coming up, guys, and if you are looking for something to get your significant other, this could be a great gift, or maybe for a friend, or maybe for that guy at League that... Really Maybe could use it. A little boost, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, check it out. Manscaped. Manscaped is seriously awesome stuff. Like JW said, we both use and enjoy their products. I actually was just having a conversation with my girlfriend the other week where she was talking about how she likes the way I smell. And I told her, hey, babe, that's Manscaped. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's the Manscaped body wash. That's, that's all the credit goes to them, not me. <laughs> so their products are great. They look good. They feel good. They smell good. They got sleek design. JW loves the packaging. (laughs) I do too. It's really fun. It makes you feel real luxurious. So anyway, if you want to get some of your own, head on over to manscaped.com. Use the promo code tag team at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free shipping. So I don't know how we can make that, you know, much more appealing to you without giving it away for free, but head on over to manscaped.com code tag team, 20% off plus free shipping, pick something up for yourself and maybe throw something in as a gift for somebody else. Thank you so much to Manscaped for sponsoring the cast, and thanks so much to you all for checking them out. All right, GW, final stretch. We got two more decks. We're shifting away from the single prize decks, moving back towards the multi prize behemoths that have dominated the last couple of years of the Pokemon trading card game. Let's start off with Mew. GW, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mew? Well, Mew has a couple different variants. I, I would argue that there are three different variants. I know you want to say that maybe one is uh, a natural extension of one of the variants, but uh, the way that I have viewed Mew um, in this format is that there, there are a few different branches that you can go off. So the first branch is the Fusion Strike Mew VMAX list, and that is incorporating, once again, Meloetta and the Fusion Strike energies with the idea being that you can pull off a much more aggressive turn one with a Meloetto attack much more consistently than you ever could before because of Forest Seal Stone. Forest Seal Stone, half of a star birth that you can use under path, so it makes that deck much more formidable, especially early. Being able to find out that, you know, that one combo piece that you might need 
to hit the turn one Meloetta for, you know, 210, 240, whatever it ends up being. The other branch of the Mew VMAX family tree <laughs> is the DTE varieties. Um, so we saw most predominantly in the last format that we just, you know, were in pre Silver Tempest was a Mew list that was focused around double turbo energy and forsook any sort of Meloetta Fusion Strike, Elisa Sparkle package to go for more consistency and, you know, a little bit more, um, I don't know, narrowed of a, a focus on the deck. So by only playing double turbo, you could remove all of those cards that I just mentioned, and that opened you up to playing um, cross switchers. That opened you up to playing more consistency cards like the trekking shoes or the rotom phones and, and draw supporters and that... draw supporters right yeah the, <laughs> I, no actually no that's a really good point I, I just kind of was glossing over those but things like marnie um you know things like roxanne Eber, you could even yeah. play path of the peak that was that was pretty fun um so so yeah that, that's kind of the genesis there and then riley you seem to think that this is a natural extension of dte mu i would still keep them a bit separate but um there is a variant that's popping up right now where it's still primarily double turbo focused, but it incorporates heavy counts of path to the peak and heavy counts of lost vacuum in order to shut down your opponent's abilities on their turn, right? At the end of the turn, you would play your path so that you could make use of all your Genesex and then path your opponent and then get rid of it on the next turn and do kind of the same thing all again. But just putting that pressure on with Path to the Peak, remove it on your turn, and do the same thing again. So Riley seems to think, you know, that that's maybe a natural extension of, of the double turbo Mew that we saw from the last format. I'm not so sure. I think those both can kind of coexist in this format, and I think there are reasons. I mean, the reason I say that is, like, like when we think about, about double turbo Mew, which I did play at multiple regionals. <laughs> yep. The, the double turbo Mew, their goal is to disrupt their opponent in combination with taking early V knockouts, right? Like, that is the whole goal of double turbo Mew. Um, when you look at disrupting opponents in the next metagame, you really need to stick Lugia with a path, it feels like, in those early turns. If you can keep Lugia from getting off the star summon ability then you probably win that game, right? So being able to like get the path more reliably is a way to do that. You also get the fringe benefit of shutting down you know, the Greninjas of the world and shutting down the other Mews of the world, yeah. um, both of which we have talked about <laughs> in the preceding moments of this podcast. So to me, it seems like if your goal is already to like kind of apply that Marnie disruption to your opponent, plus you get the addition of the Four of Seal Stone, which is not only like a get out of jail free card for the path, but it's also like a way to search out the path itself and like more yeah. of the Marnie or whatever you need to like more reliably disrupt your opponent. To right. me, that feels like that's where DTE Mew would eventually converge. You know, and if you're looking at its right. pathos, like if you're looking right. at its design strategy, that's to me is where it's headed. Yeah, it's just so interesting, right? Because you, with the Lugia deck, there's really only one turn that that it really going. matters. Yeah. yeah, it matters, right? So, so as the Mew player, if you're going down this path to the peak route, you need to play a pretty high count. You know, you're, we're seeing a lot of these lists play three path, and that's just absurd kind of for you, right? yeah. yeah, for me, right? Because you're you're trying to take advantage of your own abilities, but you need it so much. The the meta has warped so much around Lugia V Star that it commands that in your Mew deck, you play cards that are antithetical to your strategy and you play them in very high counts. Now there are kind of auxiliary benefits to Path. Um, generally Path is just a good deck and as a Mew player, you have a lot less setup than you know a number of other decks. Um, you know, Arceus can be really badly uh, inhibited by Path of the Peak, of course. But then you have um, you know your biggest counter as the Mew deck being Drapion. And so heavy path means that you are more reliably able to path, uh, have path in play when your opponent might 
really punish you with a Drapion V. And that's super notable as well, right? Because when we think about uh, the last format and sort of DTE Mu's primary weaknesses, one of the biggest things is, is multiple counts of Drapion felt almost unbeatable because it gave your opponent just so much time to eventually do what they need to do. Whereas if you play Path it, in a higher count, it gives you more opportunity to, to prevent them from attacking with Drapion in the first place. Because mm -hmm. Drapion is reliant on its ability to attack the Mu VMAX for free, which is kind of the whole selling point of the Drapion. Mm -hmm. So Andrew and I were already talking about playing like two Path. I think going to three just makes sense at that point when you have the four Seal Stone as well. Yeah. Um, so let's maybe compare those those versions then. So if we have kind of like DTE variants of Mew, Fusion Strike variants of Mew, to me it seems, honestly, it seems no contest. I think DTE is just the way to go. I think it's a more reliable. Really? Oh, yeah. I think it's a way more reliable version of the deck. Wow. I think the the results are kind of speaking for itself. And I think, uh, you know, Zul obviously just piloting the DTE version of Mew to, to great success this past weekend. Yeah. And I think... Fusion Strike Mew just has has too many things I have beef with. You know, when I played Mew at UIC yeah. and in the in the many months that I've played Mew since, I really just it's really frustrating to play the Fusion Strike version of Mew. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Forest Steel Stone will solve that core problem where like you're gonna draw you draw so many cards in exactly the right order sure. to make Fusion Strike Mew flow. Not even just to get the turn one attack, but to make it flow over the course of the entire game from there. Sure. Right? You have all these bricky supporters. You have all of these horrible to draw fusion strike energies. If you don't draw them at least in the right sequence. Mm -hmm. And it just makes the whole deck like so much more of a mess. Like, yeah, you get the one price attacker to trade, but you lose some of the ancillary benefits that come with just a more disruptive version of Mew, like the DT yeah. variant. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's just really interesting to hear you say that because I think I'm on the opposite end of the coin here and my reasonings are that with the Meloetta base version, um, I, I think you have a much stronger matchup into Lugia because you don't have to go through the V-Guard energy. I think V-Guard energy is such a You see, you said that, but, but Azul like, was destroying Lugias, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah, I mean, I and you know, again, that's that's like one, you know. No, I know it's like it's one like relatively minor tournament, but like mm -hmm. I think it's it is worth calling out that like clearly the V guard energy wasn't the end all be all of that situation. Yeah, totally, of course, and there are ways to get around it, and you know, you're still playing, um, you know, the echoing horn, and you still have a lot of gust and things like this. But uh, just just from my experience, it's been hard with the Mew to go through you know multiple um you know multiple v-guard energy on multiple lugias and then you look at uh you know when i when i played the meloetta version of me i i'm running over these lugia decks because it, it almost doesn't matter what they have you know you get that first meloetta and then from there you're just able to control the board so much when you take that first initial knockout with meloetta that um, really whatever they promote after that whatever they try to do is is kind of negated by um, you know, the, the Mew VMAXs that you have kind of on the come up. So I, it, it's just really interesting to hear you, you know, say that. I think we're just on different sides of this coin. Yeah, I, I mean, really I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily fault someone for playing Meloetta, but unless, like, something drastically changes my opinion of the deck, I would not play Meloetta Mew at a tournament, I don't think, ever again. <laughs> just, the, the, just because it's more inconsistent? Is that, like, the main reason, or...? Yeah, it's, it's more consistent, it's less reliable, and it doesn't get the my favorite strategy in the format for the last year, which is to just Marty play Marty every turn. <laughs> 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 because that strategy, it freaking works, man. It really well, but but it, it works, but it, like but it doesn't, right? Because we're we're saying Lugia. But it does. Only but it just turn. does. There's only one turn that it matters against Lugia, but Meloetta as an attacker is good in pretty much any situation. Yeah, but then you have like all these these really Dunderson hands. It, yeah. It's yeah. infinite the Dunderson hands. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. like if you draw a Dunderson with with DTV, you Marty it back, <laughs> and it's gone. Yeah. It's away from you. <laughs> so are you are you worried with the um, with the uh, the path based Mew list uh, since you're devoting your stadium slots to Path of the Peak? Are you worried about 
red, the red. Yeah, so this is, what, this is where I was going with this before you very rudely interrupted me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, my thought process is, here's the thing. Like, Fusion Strike Mew is just much more of a pile. You're going to have pile moments. But you do get the benefit of having an extra single prize attacker, which can let you trade a little bit better in a Reggie, for example. It lets you trade a little bit better in a Lost Box. Um, I think the flip side of that, you know, obviously the DTE Mew, by consequence of prepping more for Lugia, is objectively it's worse versus Reggie. And I don't think Lost Box is terrible, but it's it's definitely a little bit worse versus Lost Box as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely Reggie is like just objectively a bad matchup for the team you right now it already kind of was and it's not getting any better as we like cut down the lost cities to to one or zero <laughs> you know playing two is fire like you're lost owning reggie's like it was nothing yep. um playing zero yeah it's just... not as fire <laughs> not as fire if i had to say um so all this to say i would be scared of reggie's and that would be like my my one factor that would really preclude me from just running back DTE Mew. Mm. Interesting. Well. But I don't think Meloetta will fix that matchup. I really don't. Uh, From a lot of playing on both sides of that coin, I think you're probably still going to lose with the Meloetta Mew, unless you're playing like a heavy Lost City Meloetta Mew, I guess. Mm. Um, So, uh, you know. It's, yeah, a, I mean, it's a dollar or a hundred cents at that I, point. I don't know. I guess. Yeah, it's it's interesting there because, you know, I felt fine with the double turbo Mew into Regidex with only one Lost City, right? So I can only imagine having one Lost City. I, I know that your experience attack. was that way, but that's also kind of like the one, the same way that Azul's tournament was one anecdotal experience. Like, sure, sure. the one Lost City going super well for you could have easily just gone the other way in a different day. No, no, no. I don't maybe not for you, but for maybe some other dude who is like <laughs> much newbier than you. Yeah, yeah. Much worse, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so, like, I don't really think one Lost City will, will really often push you all the way there. Uh, especially like the Melody Mew is probably not playing Silene, um, or at least finding opportunities to use it as effectively um, without cross switcher and stuff. So, yeah, Very I'm a- interesting. Yeah, I mean, Mew is still um, far and away like on the table for me, no matter what version it is. Oh yeah, I mean it's the Mew year. <laughs> so true, man. Yeah, I mean we've kind of our testing group has kind of been rocking Mew for a long time. Uh, we got a little bit of validation from. Uh, Mew winning the uh, the tournament in Europe, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. But um, yeah, I could see you riding that train until I die. But there's one last deck that we haven't talked about that absolutely, without a doubt. Well, we've talked about it. Well, we've talked about it a lot, but we haven't <laughs> specifically. I think we've actually talked about it in every other section of the book. <laughs> it is warping the entire metagame around itself, and that is Lugia V Star. This deck is something that you need to be prepared for. You need to be prepared to beat it, or at least have a game plan when you're going against it. There's a couple of main variants. Riley, why don't you walk us through both Rainbow Lugia and Colorless Lugia? Yeah, so let's not belabor the point. You all know Lugia. You get your Archaeops into play, and you accelerate a ton of energy. So the question is, what energies are you accelerating? In the rainbow version of Lugia, you're playing Aurora energies, obviously, and you're looking to power up typically some combination of obviously the Lugia itself and then amazing rare attackers, potentially as well as a Charizard to close out the game. You have amazing Uveltal, which can take a knockout on anything that doesn't have a big Parasol equipped. You have the amazing Raikou, which is great in the mirror match. You have... um, other just like lightning attackers you really have any attacker you can play people are playing crobat v max for example to improve their mu matchup you know crobat v max with a v guard energy oh my gosh <laughs> that is brutal um and on the flip side you have the colorless version of mu so instead of playing those aurora energies and all those different attackers you might play a couple copies of charon's carry you might play a higher count of v guard energy uh play cards like gift energy lucky energy to you know, because you have that extra flexibility now that you don't have to play the Aurora energy to instead just beef up the consistency of your straightforward Lugia strategy and then use cards like Charon's to, to prevent your opponent from taking key knockouts on your massive Lugia V-Stars. Of the two, my personal preference leans still towards the rainbow. I just really haven't been sold on the, the Colors version, although 
when I play it online, it feels good. Like, it feels super smooth. But then I play in the mirror matches, and they have access to these horrifying attackers that I don't. And that feels less good. JW, yeah. do you have, like, a similar experience? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair. I think you look at the strength of Eveltal, and, you know, when we talk about attacks all time that are just, good. you know... Read good. Extremely, insanely good. You know, you had to put Eveltal on that list. Just the effect of the attack is, you know, something that... You know, we would just like to use every turn, right? If we could, if it was easy to use it, like that's just the attack to use, just knock out your opponent's Pokemon, right? I think <laughs> the only the only better attack could just be like, now you win the game, right? So I, I think that that attack in and of itself is every single reason to play that version of Lugia. Um, and it, it, it's, um, it, it's one of those things where it solves a lot of different issues for you. Um, it solves issues of, you know, Duraludon being, it's still a scary deck to play against, but, you know, you at least have answers to that. Um, it solves, you know, things like Gudra we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, there's just a bevy of different reasons that you might want to play any Veltal and have that ability to, to just take a knockout on anything. And uh, that is where I think the strength lies with the Aurora version of Lugia. I think it's also worth calling out the Aurora version of Lugia also just plays more single prizers, which has like the side benefit of like you're more likely to start a single prizer, for example, which means it's less likely that you get your two prizer knocked out before you get a chance to attack type of thing. Sure. Um, like those little things add up over the course of a tournament, you know, being able to, to have your opponent go on odd prizes more often than you do. Mm -hmm. um, so... And, and like you were saying as well, Eveltal really can't be ignored. You can't really gust around Eveltal in good faith unless you have a very clear plan to win the game like on the following turn because it's just going to keep using the attack. There's not like a cost to it. Yeah. You just you just do it. You take a knockout. The cost is powering it up. The cost is powering it up, which really wasn't intended to be powered up in this way, I don't think. Nah, dude, it's so broken. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, here we are. And it's possible, so... Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think the Eveltal, and even just like the other fringe attackers that Lugia has access to with the Rainbow, that power level just ultimately exceeds the sort of more controly strategy that the the Colors version is going for. So let's I mean let's talk about that then. With Lugia, there you know you talk about fringe attackers. If you're thinking about playing at LAIC, what are some attackers that in a Lugia deck that you should be either prepared for or be thinking about playing yourself? Because we have the Amazing Rare Raikou, that fits a similar niche to the Stoutland V in that against a Lost Box deck, you could potentially take two prizes, assuming they don't have a Manaphy. The Amazing Rare Raikou can snipe 120. It does 120 to the active, so that's pretty good. Um, additionally, if you attach a Choice Belt, you can one-shot right, yeah. your opponent's Lugia. So it's really good in the mirror if your opponent doesn't have Dunsparce down. There's also the Radiant Charizard, that with a choice belt and enough energy uh, can do 280, which is very good into Lugia's. Um, are there any other attackers that you see maybe playing uh, in this Lugia, Rainbow Lugia build? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Crobat VMAX is actually a legitimate contender for a valuable card because, again, you get that, that V-Guard energy and you get the two Auroras on your Crobat, and you are taking six prizes with that Crobat against VB Max. You know, it is really, really hard for a Mew to deal with that card. You're having yeah. 330 hit points. That is five damage modifiers to get there with a double turbo, which uh, is all of them, if you weren't aware. <laughs> so yeah. that's going to be tough for most Mew decks to actually hit. Um, and the DTE variants of Mew, which, are again, are the more popular variants, don't really... They don't have another attacker to like throw up in the matchup, right? right. You just right. knock them out. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something worth considering. Uh, I think some other cards are... I mean, you have so much flexibility, right? Because you play Rainbow Energies and accelerate them from the deck. Some other cards that I think are worth considering, just generally like Lightning Attackers, are things that I think are on the table. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of Lightning Attackers that really like hit that 140, 150 threshold without a damage modifier, 
that's something that's been a problem ever since Palkia was introduced, is there's just really not a great lightning guy to accelerate onto. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another potential contender, though, if you're looking at, like, choice band compatible, uh, choice belt compatible attackers is Zekrom is another good option. Um, You know, it's... It can attack multiple times in a row. It does have the the recoil, but it also paralyzes, uh, which is a pretty powerful effect anyway. Uh, yeah, so in the mirror, even if you don't like take the raw prizes with it from because they have a Dunsparce or something, you still paralyze them in the active, which could potentially let you have that turn swing that you wanted anyway. Yeah, a lot of Lugia decks are not playing any sort of switching cards. Um, you know, you might see an escape rope, you might see a switch here and there, but uh, certainly nothing like. Um, you know, cross switchers. Or yeah, no. Like that. Yeah, very little, very little like actual switch out. So, so any sort of paralyzation is really big. Um, there's one other card that I, I was surprised you haven't mentioned, and that is the Regigigas. Yeah, Regigigas is a great option. It's not really exclusive to the Aurora version because right. it does have that colorless sure. attack cost. But obviously, getting that easy 300 damage against VMAX Pokemon is super good. You put a choice built on that; it's knocking out any VMAX in the game. Obviously, Regigigas is super, super good. I was sort of lasered in on the other Euroras. Yeah, was... totally. No, I get that. I get that. I just, it's important to, to note, you know, I, I mean, obviously, in preparation, this is one of the, you know, more interesting inclusions, I think, for either the Aurora-based version or the... Yeah, it's really funny because Regigigas was clearly meant to, like, power itself up. So to <laughs> with with the you know five other Reggies in play, but you can also just do it with two little bird guys in play. <laughs> yeah. That works just as well. So it seems that we're pretty in step with the Veltal. Uh, I would say I, so. Yeah. I love the Stoutland. That would be an inclusion in my Lugia list where to play it at LAIC. Are there any that are kind of must-haves of these tech Pokemon? Must-haves? I don't necessarily think so. I think, like, in Aurora, you need to play Veltal. And outside of that, like, you don't necessarily have to play any cards. Uh, it kind of is up to metagame discretion. You know, I think of cards like Regigigas and Statland probably occupy a similar slot in the deck, if not the exact same slot. Mm. Uh, so you kind of have to be a little bit choosy. But maybe not, especially if you're playing Colorless. Mm. You know, you could probably fit Lugia and Statland in a Colorless version of Lugia. For example, or Regigigas and Stalin, not Lugia and Stalin. Obviously, you're playing Lugia. <laughs> I hope. I guess you can play Lugia. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's there is a certain amount of tightness to the Lugia deck because you're typically playing 15 or 16 energy, mm-hmm. which is a pretty hefty number. Uh, in addition to like the four, four, four ball counts that pretty much every Lugia deck is playing to get those Archaeops in this card pile. Mm-hmm. So you're really running thin on space pretty quickly. Um, I think for sure Eveltal is a must-have in Rainbow. And other than that, like the rest of the attackers are kind of fighting for their slots. Fair enough. And it's based on, on largely what you expect to see. I would say personally, like I think a combination of the Eveltal and the Stoutland seems pretty good with what we're seeing right now in the metagame. Like Lost Box seems like it's really hot right now. It seems like something people are really enjoying. So having that option seems pretty valuable um and i think you can handle mew well enough without like the regigigas to necessarily need it mm-hmm. it's at least my, where i'm landing That's right now solid analysis solid analysis so i think we've talked enough about lugia um you know if we were to go to a tournament right now i think my choice would be lugia i think that deck is just nutty <laughs> in many, many ways. And I'd probably go with the rainbow version. Riley, what would you take if you were to go to a tournament? Yeah, I mean, if I was going to LAIC, right yeah. if I was going to LAIC in a couple days, I would be... I would say probably Lugia would be my top choice with a close second being to Team Mew. Yeah, yeah. And I think we have a, you know, a, another week to kind of figure this out. And, and obviously looking at the results, we'll be all over those for what ended up happening at LAIC. You'll be able to hear all about that next week. Now, there is one last question that we have for the cast. There's a lot beyond these four decks. There's a lot of other decks out there. <laughs> just just a ton. I mean, right now, I think there's, there's so many viable decks that people are just playing. Whether or not they can win a tournament, that 
remains to be seen, but there's a lot of just different decks. What's a rogue or fringe deck that you think could make top eight in Latin America? Yeah, it's really tough because I think these deck I think the decks we listed are like much better than yes. the rest of the form. <laughs> if I'm being honest, if I'm being candid, I think they are. I I'm gonna give like two answers. So I don't have anything in mind, but I would not be surprised at all if there's a stall deck that comes out of the woodwork and does really well. Yep. Um, it feels like there's an opportunity there. I just don't know exactly what it would be. Um, and the other side of the coin, I, w- I would say, would be... Um, I don't want to say like a Lasso deck, but more like a... I don't know, like some sort of like goofy Arceus deck, honestly, with like Duraludons or Gudras or, or dragons of mm-hmm. both varieties in it. Um, it feels like, you know, those those dragons honestly match up fine against a lot of the meta game. It's just that last little piece against Lugia. How do you make it work? Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think maybe has potential. You know, you see you see Gudras and and Duraludons like floating in the top 16s of a lot of these online tournaments, but not really ever making it quite past that. I want, what I want to say is I want to say Vicable, but I don't think it's actually good enough. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I was, I I was actually really going to echo those same things. So I I think that there is a stall variant, Eveltal with, you know any kind of yeah Eveltal with all the, the little friends yeah yeah little friends right Eveltal and then um, I mean obviously there's either Corviknight or Regilecki as kind of your big VMAX that hopefully can't get one shot and then you could potentially Cheryl and do some kind of combination with Endless Looping with the um, with the uh, Eldegoss you know there's something there I was trying really hard at the start of this format to like <laughs> think about that and theory on it but nothing ever really came to me i think uh, the the bulk of what i uh, boiled down to for that deck was an eveltal based stall and that was very lackluster obviously not going to do a ton into decks like reggie not going to be particularly good into lost box decks so i kind of scrapped the idea um, but I agree. There's a lot of tools for stall, and the meta is very centralized. Like, we're looking at four decks. A lot of these decks are, you know, <laughs> centered. Yeah, I mean, that's the lowest number we've ever given, I think, heading into, like, yeah, a big tournament. I, I mean, yeah, right. Like, I'm not even considering anything that's not these four decks. But then I, I would say that, yeah, a Vikavolt deck could be kind of cool. Trainer Lock is very good. Um, we are seeing kind of a proof of concept being established with the re, uh, with the Regilecki and the Vikavolt pairing together. And so, do I think it's a great deck? No. Do I think it's really consistent enough to win? No. But I do think <laughs> that it has a chance to make top eight. Yeah. And you know that would be that would be a great success for that deck. It feels like maybe if Luya didn't have access to Dunsparce, there's mm-hmm. a world where like yep. Reggie could yep. do something, or where where Vigo could do something. Yep. Yep. But freaking Dunsparce, man! I hate that card. It's so. <laughs> It, it shuts down so many strategies. And, like, why did Lugia and Arceus happen to be, like, the best decks at the same time as Dunsparce? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's just evil, man. That's just it's evil. so evil. It's so <laughs> sad. Yeah. So sad. <laughs> well, who knows? I don't really... Honestly, I don't really think... Our, uh, a fringe deck is likely to win this tournament unless there's some crazy stall deck out there um but even that stall struggles and top cut it's something we've seen time and time again at these large events so be on the lookout for lugia be ready for lugia and be ready for tag team to digest what happened (laughs) with lugia and get you ready for toronto because that's where our you know stake is right we are both going to toronto can't wait for that tournament so we need to be all on top of everything that happens this weekend so you know come back next week you'll hear all about it <laughs> thank you all so much for listening to today's episode before we head out I want to do a few quick plugs first if you are interested in picking up the tag team merchandise make sure to head over to flexdaddy.card shop got plenty of shirts left and they are seriously awesome 
I get lots of compliments from them, even outside of, like, the Pokemon setting. People really like the shirts. So do check them out if you're interested. And maybe rep them at Toronto if you want to get some street cred from the tag team. You can also find us on social media. And even if Twitter's in the process of imploding, that's still the best place to find us. So you can find us at Tag Team Pokemon, at Smiles with Riles for myself, and at Real John Walter for JW. And last but certainly not least, we do record the podcast every single week here on twitch.tv slash munner. That's my Twitch channel. You can also find JW on twitch.tv slash flexdaddyrighteous. Absolutely. Thank you guys all so much for listening. We can't wait to see what happens at LAIC. And we'll talk to you next week. Peace. See you.